Lord Jesus, we give you thanks uh, for allowing us to gather here for so many years. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for your scripture. We thank you for meeting us in the sacrament every week. Uh, Lord Jesus, may you open the word to us afresh today that we might hear from you. Open our hearts, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So children, there's lots of uh, just fun, exciting passages that you have to choose from that you could draw for us today. Uh, I'll be preaching from Revelation, so you could draw that picture of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, descending to earth. What does that look like? I would love to see your drawings for that. Uh, Or you could draw the story from uh, Mark's gospel uh, when the blind man Bartimaeus comes and Jesus heals him. What would that look like? Uh, Or you could draw what would be the first thing that this blind man would see after Jesus uh, heals his eyes. So uh, I had a friend in high school. His name was Philip. Uh, he was a bit of a philosopher kind of guy. I loved talking to him. I, I had never quite always understood what he was talking about, but he was really fun. And uh, for a little while, uh, he, he was inviting me to go. Uh, we lived in, in the Kansas City area. And he invited me to come with him to go listen to live jazz in downtown Kansas City at this jazz club. And like that to me just sound a little, I, I don't know, I, I was a little hesitant, but I went with him. I, I enjoyed jazz music. I had listened to some jazz music before. But I remember sitting there in that little jazz club the first time. Have any of you ever been to a jazz club before? A couple of you. Great, great. It was unreal. Like I loved sitting there, and it was just probably like four musicians or so. And it was, first of all, live music is always so much more vibrant than listening to it on headphones. But then there were all these other fun things. You know, you'd you'd see the musicians kind of glancing at one another, cueing each other for various things. As you know, jazz music is is pretty messy. uh, And and so there's, you just need a lot of like nonverbal cues between the musicians. But the music just came alive. It just felt super new to me. It was a completely new experience. And it was one that I wanted to go back and experience again and again and again. Uh, And then that appreciation for live music started to go into um, sort of other genres. Uh, There's just nothing like it. And uh, this pandemic, one of the reasons why it's it's been so frustrating is so many shows have been canceled and, and those opportunities for live music have been shut down, which is a tremendous bummer. So... What has been an experience that you've had in your life where you've encountered something new and it completely transformed your outlook on the world? Maybe it was similar to encountering live music for the first time like that, where before, you know, you kind of had this muddy sort of like stereo only uh, way of experiencing music, but then after live music, the whole world gets turned upside down. You know, when was something that you have experienced new that has been completely different for you? Maybe it's when you got accepted into like a, a special uh, academic program or something and, and you realized that this was going to unlock a completely new future for you. Or maybe it was uh, someone new being welcomed into your family and that sort of expanding and transforming your world. Or maybe it's receiving news from the doctor that after years of battling a disease, you had been told that you are fully recovered. These are kinds of new events that transform life entirely. Well, our congregation is on the precipice of one of these kinds of moments, on the precipice of one of these kinds of moments. We're going to be, this is our last Sunday here, we're going to be stepping into a new building next week, 
And woo, yeah, indeed. I don't know what that's going to be like. I imagine for a lot of us, it's going to be this sort of live music, new jazz. Uh, I, I almost told the story of trying pesto for the first time in my life. Uh, I almost told the story of, of uh, you know I'm a gadget nerd, of holding the original iPhone for the first time and doing the swipe to unlock feature, you know? Like, this is going to be this totally transforming uh, experience for all of us. And so, for the last several months, uh, we've been preparing our, our building physically. Uh, a lot of you have contributed through finances, through labor, through prayer, uh, and we are also spending some time preparing our hearts as well. Uh, what we've been doing is, well, this Saturday, we're going to be holding a consecration service, and our Anglican prayer book gives us scripture lessons for a building consecration, and so we've been taking those scripture lessons and looking at them each Sunday leading up to the building. So a few weeks ago, I preached on Haggai 2, in which in the midst of this, this national crisis of, of political turmoil, of sort of environmental desolation, in the midst of all of that, God says, work for I am with you. And he blesses their laboring as they prepare his home among them. And then after that, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, in which uh, the apostle is writing to a dispersed people, and he says to them, you are living stones being brought together as a living temple of God's presence. We learned that God's architecture is biological, and we reflected on the fact that God has made that so clear to us in the last several years of being here in this space. And then last week, we looked at Matthew 21. Uh, we looked at Jesus cleansing the, tape, the temple. And then he says to everyone there, he says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Not a house of convenience or comfort, but a house of prayer. And then the children cry out his praises and he receives their praises and he heals many there. The temple of the Lord is to be a house of prayer, of healing, and of praise. Well, this week, we're gonna be looking at that reading from Revelation, the final book of the Bible, and here, the Apostle Paul, or Apostle John, I'm sorry, writes describing these end times, which time itself will come to a close, a time in which God tells us himself that he will make all things new. And the imagery of new things that we've been talking about, new devices, <laughs> new birth, new marriage, new recovery from an illness, those kinds of images are brought up in this story. But those images, they can fall short, nothing can really measure up to what John is trying to describe here, in which God will make all things new. Now, whether you've been with Restoration since our first service in here, or maybe this is your first Sunday today, I hope that you will be stirred in two different ways. One, may you recognize that this present world is insufficient. This present world is broken. And as excited as I am to go into this building, it won't be ultimately fulfilling for us. Hate to break it to us. This, this world is broken and insufficient. But secondly, may your hearts yearn for the new creation. The Bible tells us that the creation itself is growing in anticipation of this new creation, of this, this rebirth. So may your hearts also be stirred for that. We'll be moving through this in, in three different sections. We'll look at the first two verses, and then three and four, and then five through seven. So looking at verses uh, one and two, here we read that there is a new heaven and a new earth, and that they will be joined together. They will be joined together. 
in popular Christian thought, we kind of have this idea that heaven is this thing that's out there and that when you die, you, you flee this world and you go to heaven and that one day earth is going to burn and we'll all just be in heaven, blah, 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 blah. That is a, that is a popular thought. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have time to go into kind of the history of, of that development. We can maybe blame Plato for that a bit. Um, but that, that idea is that the earth is something that's dirty or second rate and that heaven is pure and perfect. You know, we, we sing songs like, I'll fly away, sweet Jesus, I'll, which is a fun song. I hope we can sing that, but with a proper theological understanding, I guess. <laughs> but truth be told, that is not the biblical portrait of the new heavens and the new earth. In the Bible, heaven is simply where God dwells and his heavenly creatures. It's where his throne room is. And then the earth is, is our domain. Earth is, is the dwelling place of humanity. Throughout the Bible, we hear that there were wars and conflict in heaven. And then even in today's passage, we read that the sea, that is, which represents chaos and disorder, the sea is actually present in both domains. Both heaven and earth are in need of renewal. Well, the day is coming in which God will reorder the entire cosmos. We read in, in the second part of verse 1 that the sea will be no more. The sea never rests. The sea churns up dirt and mire constantly. The sea storms uh, will swallow an entire ship. Mysterious monsters grow large in the sea, and they latch on to ships, and they drag them down into the depths. In the first moments of creation, the very first act of God's spirit is to drive back the sea to separate the chaos and the destruction away from the land where he wants to place his people. And here in Revelation, if we were to flip back the pages, we would see that there's a beast that emerges from the sea, and he spews forth, forth blasphemy against God, and he makes war against God's saints. Well, in the new creation, the forces of evil will evaporate. They will be no more. Well, once we see the eradication of the sea, we see the, the arrival of the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem descends. It comes down from heaven, prepared as a bride. Notice the city is, is described as a bride. It's his temple. This is bride. This is a city, temple, bride language. And this is imagery of the church. This is God's church, his dwelling place is now renewed and purified and perfected here on earth. So we can learn from this that the, the church is, is not this volunteer organization that, that we sort of come and, and we build up ourselves and then the church rises and goes to heaven. No, rather the church is a fellowship that is initiated by God and it's given by God. It is a divine gift by God that you and I are invited to come and participate in. So we see in these first verses that in God's new creation, chaos and evil are eradicated, and then God creates a space for his people to come together. All things are made new. Well, in the second part, verses 3 and 4, we see, uh, well, in verse 3, John says, a loud voice he heard from the throne speaks. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. So from this point on, for the rest of all of eternity, God will remain with his people. No more will your faith be like the moon, 
waxing and waning as the months roll on. No more will you pray into the darkness, wondering if your words are being heard. No more will your doubts throw you into these seasons of despair, because instead, you will see God. You will bask in the warmth of His glory. We will see God face to face, as our liturgy says. To his prophet Ezekiel, God said long ago, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And we saw God kind of getting closer and closer to his people throughout the biblical story. First, he dwelt among his people in a tent. Then there was a temple where he was permanently residing. And then most supremely, we saw God's glory here on earth through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, John, the gospel writer, writes that Jesus, the word became flesh and tabernacled, uh, took residence up with us. So in time eternal, we will bask in the warmth of God's glory. And then all remaining wounds will be healed. In verses 3 and 4, we read that God himself will be with his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. What I love about this is that it's, it's not a priest who does it. It's not a prophet who does it. It's not an angel who does this or a saint who does this. It's God himself who wipes away the tears from our eyes. God Almighty, the commander of the angel armies, he is the king of kings who sits upon the throne of heaven. He himself will reach out his hand and wipe the tears tenderly from our eyes. He will take away the soreness from our crying, shaking bodies. He will restore beauty to our weathered faces. He will clear the vision from our eyes so that we can behold His glory most perfectly. God will heal our sorrows. Now, this is kind of a little deal, but I have this constant ringing in my ears. Uh, tinnitus, I think. Anyone else have tinnitus? You probably don't want to raise your hand on that one. <laughs> um, someone really dear to me uh, has a genetic disorder that um, predisposes them to cancer. Another person I love suffered a traumatic brain injury several years ago, and it's, uh, she smashed her prefrontal cortex, um, crippling her cognition. I called my 92-year-old grandmother the other day, and she asked me what grade I was in. This is a broken world. And I know that you all know that as well. I know that you could list the things that plague you. Uh, we, we pray for these things in our prayers of the people, and sometimes silently by our prayer team. And this, these broken things that plague us are a sign of the injustice of this world. They're a sign that this world is broken, and there's something within us that cries out, acknowledging there is, this is not right. This isn't the way that the created order is supposed to be. And so I read stories like this. I, I read this passage. I hear John's words, and I, and I hear what, what God gave John to, to say and to write to us. And I get so excited that there will be a day in which there's no more pain, no more suffering that plagues us. By the Father's own hand, pain shall be no more, and life itself will be made new. So thirdly, we read in verses 5 through 7, in verse 20, actually in verse uh, uh, 6, well actually let me, let me back up a minute. So throughout this, 
throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus is, is mostly silent. Uh, we have the first part, if you're familiar with the book, where Jesus um, speaks to the seven churches, but then after that, he's mostly silent throughout this. You're kind of wondering, you know, where's, where is Jesus throughout this? Well, it's not until here, this passage, that the one who sits upon the throne, Jesus Christ, speaks out, breaking the silence. And do you see what he says in verse 6? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. So I think we know what, what it means that God is the beginning, right? To kind of put it in scientific terms, uh, he is the one who created everything. He is the one who is the origin of life itself. And he is the one who has gifted us with consciousness as we sing every week, he is the one from whom all blessings flow. God is the beginning. But what does it mean that God is the end? Now, I don't think it means, when the Bible says, when Jesus says of himself that he is the end, I don't think it means that, that he is like a black hole to, into which we are all sort of like gravitating towards and eventually will be terminated. Like that's not what it means when Jesus says he is the end. No, I think Jesus means that he is the finish line that he is the goal to which we are all heading towards. He is the perfect one in whom we live and move and have our being. And so when we hear Jesus say that he is the end, it means that he is our rest. He is the one whose arms we can lean into. He is the one who comforts us and will comfort us for all eternity. And we see that most very clearly when he says to the thirsty God gives the water of life. Now, we live in a land of lakes, and so as Minnesotans, maybe that imagery doesn't land on us, uh, doesn't resonate with us as much. But to the Palestinian, to those uh, ancient Palestinians living in the deserts, those Jews, uh, a spring of cool water is a very vivid symbol. When there's no water, your village literally dries up. People perish. They pass away. But what we see here is that to a parched and thirsty soul, God gives abundant life. No more will we be weary and exhausted by the trials and tribulations of this world. Rather, we will be refreshed, rejuvenated, revigorated by the cool, crisp, and always flowing waters of God's very Spirit. So God will reorder all of creation. He will make his home with us. And God himself will be our rest. So how do we know that these things are true? How do we know that these things are actually real? Because what we're talking about here is the recreation of everything. Like that's pretty wild, right? The recreation of the entire universe. How do we know it's true? Well, we know it's true because we know the one who is sitting on the throne we know the one who is speaking here in this moment. This is Jesus Christ, and he was here. He was here 2,000 years ago. He walked around. We have a record of this. He actually walked among us. He actually healed the sick. He actually cast out demons and evil from people. He actually raised people from the dead. In Jesus Christ, God gave us a preview of this new creation. It was a glimpse of what would come. In Jesus Christ, heaven and earth meet he defeated death upon the cross, and through the resurrection, he guaranteed that we would follow after him. We are the body of Christ now, redeemed by him, filled by his spirit, 
able to experience his presence, his reassuring peace, his supernatural comfort. Well, God has given us, this congregation, restoration, an amazing building. It's this huge gift. And may this be a new experience for us, something where we sort of awaken up to sort of new possibilities of mission and worship and ministry in this space. My prayer is that this would sort of be a, an echo, a foretaste of what God is going to do for the entire creation. So that when people come and come into this building, it's a place where, where, where people experience heaven and earth meeting. Not because the building is anything special, but because we, the people of God, has designated this as our home that we've filled it with images of his beauty, that we've filled it with, with songs of praise. We've proclaimed his scripture boldly, where we've been nourished by him at the table week after week. May this be a place where we raise up a new generation who encounter God there, who are able to point to that, to point to that building and say, that is where I have met the Lord. May our very lives be a living witness to the God who restores all things. May we proclaim that the things which have been cast down, God is raising up. That things which have grown old, God is making new again. And that all things are being brought into the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, it is a delight to immerse ourselves in your scriptures, Lord. Lord, I thank you for every man, woman, and child who is here right now. Lord Jesus, may you fill us with your spirit. Lord, may you, make your, may you reveal yourself to us afresh um, through what you are doing here, Lord. Lord, what, a, what an honor, what a treat that after years of, of, of building up this congregation, Lord, you have now given us a home. Lord, may we be good stewards of this space. May it be an emblem of your grace and your mercy and your reconciliation, Lord. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.